with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Welcome to Biz Today. I'm Xu Yawen in Beijing. Coming up, we'll have a half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's program, we'll talk about how China's new 24 measures will further optimize the country's business environment and attract more global capital. And also, looking ahead to the upcoming BRICS summit in South Africa, what are the key economic issues to be discussed during the meeting? Now, let's begin with our top story. China is making moves to boost foreign investment in the country. The State Council has issued 24 guidelines that would further attract foreign investment and optimize the country's business environment. The policy covers aspects such as encouraging foreign investors to undertake major scientific research projects, ensuring equal treatment of foreign and domestic companies. And exploring a convenient and secure management mechanism for cross-border data flows, it will also increase physical support and tax incentives for foreign investment enterprises. To discuss more details of China's new measures, let's have Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Mr. Fabian Pecari. Vice President of the French Chamber of Commerce in China, Dr. Zhou, how is this new 24 measures really different from all of the other measures and plans that we have seen? We know that the world is under very big uncertainty and pressures. So, if we are trying to look at the different policies, not only in China but also around the world, we may find that many countries are trying to limit. The investment in different areas, like for some restriction for the tech-related sectors or other consideration about so-called national security. Well, I have to say that China is also worrying about in this situation a lot of things to do with the national security. But we are trying to make it a very important to send a signal to the market that we still want to attract. FDIs, no matter where they come from. So, in this regard, I think the background of、uh, this policy or this plan is very important, and China is trying to keep its、uh, original and always the、uh, promises that we should open our market wider and wider. Well, as for the plan, I have to say that when we are looking at it, I, I have a feeling that we are not only trying to do something as euros, like to do everything about the manufacturing, about the traditional. Sectors for attracting the FDIs, but we are trying to put more the higher priority for certain areas, and we are trying to attract what we call a higher quality of FDI. So、mm-hmm. this is、uh, some of the characteristics I, I believe is a little bit different from the the past ones. Mr. Packery, as an investor and businessman in China, what's your impression of the new measures? I mean, how will the new policy benefit foreign business like your company and other multinational corporations? I do think it's very good news, right? It's、uh, it's very important. Those、uh, measures are very crucial, and they are very necessary. We can see that it will be beneficial, but for sure,、uh, it's important because we have to be careful. We've seen. Uh, recently, uh, we have to pay attention 
the FDI are under pressure. And uh, so it's an important time now to find uh, the, the right uh, scenario and uh, the right decision to improve this situation, which is the case, I think, uh, now uh, with those uh, 24 uh, guidelines to increase the, and optimize the FDI in China. So anyway, yes, I think it's uh, it's very necessary and it's, uh, and it's very important. It's very good to encourage foreign firms to expand uh, operations here in China. Then, Dr. Zhou, it's worth noting that the new policy places greater emphasis on encouraging foreign investors to establish research and development center in China and undertake major scientific research projects. So, based on your observation, why research and development is under focus this time? You know, uh, as for the choices of the FDI, I have to say that uh, the many FDIs benefit a lot from the past of uh, opening up of Chinese market. And actually, they are still trying to consider which part would they put in China. I mean, nowadays, we know that China is a super big market. We have so many people here and the diversified demands are coming from different levels and different areas of China. So if they are trying to address the new trend and trying to have their own products and services fit for or, you know, suitable for those products and services, you know, they may they may have to establish a research and center, development center here in China. So in this regard, I think that it is a kind of opportunity for them to choose and to get more knowledge about the local demands of the market. Well, at the same time, we are trying to improve the quality and, uh, you know, provide better choices for Chinese consumers. So in this regard, I think that um, the quicker the FDIs and other stakeholders come to China, they may benefit earlier from the development of Chinese market. Well, when we're talking about the medicines and something to do uh, with the medical treatment, I have to say that China is also very uh, interested in this area because as for the uh, for the so, uh, software outsourcing and other kind of outsourcing in the past, the medical is one of the priorities for many companies to undertake the tasks from the multinational corporations. So they are having, they already had many experiences in dealing with that. And uh, in this regard, they may cooperate more with the local supply chain and try to make better use of what they can do to improve their existence in Chinese market. Mr. Packery, the new measure also mentioned that China will make it easier for workers of international enterprises to apply for visas and residency permits, and it will provide greater fiscal and taxation assistance for the businesses. So what do you make of this policy? How will China's efforts make it easier for foreign enterprises workers to operate in the country? It's good. It's very good. Um, as you know, I'm also the vice president of the French Chamber of Commerce and Industry in China. And so it's something we talk very often with the different members, the different um, uh, companies and firms here in, uh, in China. Um, so it's yes, those measures are extremely crucial also. But as you know, um, it's uh, for many uh, companies, it's important to be able to recruit 
and to have also uh, different engineers coming because as you know uh, there is different kind of fdi we have the horizontal fdi the vertical fdi the conglomerate uh, fdi i'm not going to talk about all the different fdi here today but uh, we have the platform fdi also so every different you know many different kind of fdi and um, you know china is an amazing place nowadays especially where i am in the greater bay area in the south you know with uh, guangzhou and shenzhen a wonderful place you know for for fdi with uh, the also the Friedrich Zone area in Shenzhen and Guangzhou and also in Hainan, uh, the, the different possibilities, you know, different vehicles, it's very well engineered, it's, it's, it's perfect, you know, it's amazing, amazing place. But for sure, with those measures, uh, it's good because they need to make feel uh, everyone that um, uh, concerning uh, taxation and concerning uh, uh, transfer, resource transfer. Uh, when we talk about uh, um, exchange of knowledge and technologies and skills, you know, it's what we call human capital, human capital resources. And this is very important. And uh, this uh, we have to make sure uh, when it's about um, uh, FDI benefiting and developing more human resources, we, we need to make sure that everyone can move uh, uh, in in very easy conditions. So yes, it's uh, it's very good that uh, those uh, 24 guidelines uh, arrived right now, I think. It's very, very crucial. Actually, the Chinese government conducted visits to a number of foreign invested enterprises, organized uh, many panel discussions, and gathered opinions and suggestions through in-depth investigations, through conversation dialogue with foreign companies, we're currently operating in a Chinese market. So that means the new measure is the reflection of the research findings. Anyway, so let's move on to the next question. It's also for you, Mr. Packery. In the first half of this year, over 23,000 foreign invested enterprises were newly established in China, marking a 35.7% year-on-year increase. So with these new measures in place, how will they boost foreign investor confidence in China, especially against the backdrop of rising international trade and investment protectionism? Yes, as you just mentioned before concerning the... Uh, just back to what you say a minute ago. Um, yes, it was very. We had also uh, many meeting. We had many meeting with the MoFCOM, the Ministry of Commerce, and also with the CCPIT and the, the Chinese Chamber of Commerce. And it was very good because we had many meeting the last two three months uh, concerning discussing what could be done. Uh, it was very important to to see uh, to exchange together to have many discussion to see what could be done to encourage and to to make things uh, easier. Uh, to encourage uh, foreign investment and to 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 make uh, policies uh, to implement uh, stronger support and to encourage uh, innovation r and d uh, uh, service service guarantee and so it was yeah, it was uh, it, it was very good to to have those meetings the last two three months uh, now, um to reply your your question um uh, as I said, yeah, the, the, the situation is is uh, is quite it's quite good. But we know, we I think uh, we 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 as I said, uh, the situation is uh, um, now we have to be careful about those FDI under pressure, and it's why those measures are necessary uh, because yeah, the service industry recovered 
in uh, better now uh, in 2023. Uh, we know for the um, it start to be uh, also the consumption recovery is better now than investment. So uh, we we know that many points are actually uh, quite good for the for the growth of the modern industry here in uh, in China. So also concerning green digital, uh, intelligent product, and those those services have been increased uh, very very uh, rapidly recently. So this is this is uh, still very important uh, key drivers and uh, uh, having a vigorous development. So it's, a, it's very good for the service industry. But we have to be careful of something. I think, uh, um, and, I, and I really appreciate and I, I'm, I love what China is doing to, to improve uh, everything. But we have to pay attention to something because, um, you know, uh, concerning also FDI and concerning, I know during my discussion here with many officials in many different cities in the greater Bay Area, of course, um, uh, Cities would like to have um, big companies coming, uh, large investment, quality of the eye. It's normal, I understand. But we have to remember also that sometimes uh, SMEs, uh, small and medium-sized companies, are also a very important uh, uh, network, are also a very important ground uh, that we have to keep in mind that those many, many small uh, ecosystem of small companies uh, and enterprise are also very important to bring R&D, to bring product innovation, to bring promotion, to bring new projects, even if it's small, even if it's sometimes a small industrial production. If it, We have to keep in mind that those uh, small ecosystems of uh, small companies are also very necessary to, to, to continue to increase and to push uh, the economy, I think we have to pay attention of this. Yes. Um, Dr. Joe, what's your take on this? Like, how well, how well the new policy boosts the foreign investor confidence in China, especially amid the intense global competition to attract foreign investment? Also, what's your observation on China's advantage in attracting foreign capital? Actually, we are talking about the FDIs. I think that we we should not try only to look at the FDIs from the developed economies, but also I think there are many FDIs are coming from many developing economies and countries. So in this regard, I think that cooperation of uh, you know the different uh, companies from different countries could be diversified, could be different. And in different regions, like in some certain part of China, when they are good at uh, some agricultural products processing, they may import more things from some of the ASEAN countries because they are really good at agricultural products. While for many other countries, uh, I mean, they can also invest in China to gain the better technology or even the skills from China. So the cooperation could be more diversified. And I think that targets of these companies are varied according to the process. If we have a very stable market and we can open our market with a, a surety a promises and we can actually uh, enforce our promises, that is definitely some good example that will attract more FDIs to China. Well, I have to say that when we're talking about these new things, there are also many considerations about the traditional ways of cooperation because of China's supply chains, because of China's whole set of manufacturing in different subsectors. So the companies come here to gain benefit from the, the China's market, from the cooperation, uh, like for the the cooperation with the SMEs in China to enhance their abilities to produce better products. So if you are looking at the example, you may find that some 
countries are trying to, to limit the investment or import from Chinese products, and they are suffering a lot by a higher prices and not enough quality or products to 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 meet their target, like for the for the uh, new energy uh, generation or some other issues. So I think that in the world, when we are providing better environment, it's not only a opportunities for this country. It, it should be the opportunities for the stakeholders, including the companies. So we welcome the companies from all around the world to participate in China's growth and also in the even bigger market when we are connecting with many other countries along the Belt and Road region. We're speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Mr. Fabian Peccari, Vice President of the French Chamber of Commerce in China. Let's take a short break and coming back, we'll take a look at the key economic issues to be discussed during next week's BRICS Summit in South Africa. Stay with us. Why China instead of other countries? Why the village instead of the city? As China's rural revitalization continues, we talk to expats to find out their reasons for choosing to live in the country's villages for years or even decades. They also share their experiences and views on the development and reconstruction of the countryside over the years. Learn more about what's going on in China's vast rural areas through my expat life in rural China, here on Chat Lounge. South Africa will host the summit of BRICS countries in Johannesburg next week. The group's expansion and greater use of local currencies will be high on the agenda. This year's summit is expected to be one of the largest, with over 40 heads of state and government having confirmed their attendance. A total of 23 countries from across the globe have applied to join BRICS, and over 40 nations have expressed interest in joining the group demonstrating the bloc's expanding worldwide influence. What economic opportunities will BRICS bring to the world amid the post-pandemic recovery? And how can the group's new development bank enhance an inclusive and multipolar financial system? For more on this, let's have Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and Mr. Diego Martins, co-founder of International Institute for Geopolitics and Strategic Intelligence. Dr. Zhou, this will be the first physical meeting of BRICS member countries since the COVID pandemic. Considering that the current five BRICS nations now contribute to nearly one-third of the global GDP, so how is it helping to boost the economic recovery of developing nations? We know that developing countries are one of the most important partners in the world. And it's not only about the GDP, but also for the trade and investment. So the cooperation among the developing countries, especially from the the most important ones, are really important because that we are trying to make a better decision on what we, we should try to follow and what direction should we try to go. Actually, we know that nowadays there are so many protagonisms and unilateralism in this world, and they are changing some of the common understanding and the rules of the multilateral 
system. So the developing countries should try to find out what we can do. Should we just stick to what we have promised, like other countries, or we should try to do something which is more realistic and helpful for our people? So actually, it's a very important time for us to try to make some judgment. Um, during a recent interview I had with、uh, South Africa's ambassador to BRICS, Professor Anil Sukla, and he told me that a technical committee is likely to be formed to start considering a potential joint currency, in other words, the BRICS currency. So, Dr. Zhou, in your observation, was the prospect to create a BRICS currency, and how would it work?、Uh, we know that the cooperation among the BRICS countries are. Expanding from the infrastructure corporations to trade to more things about the financial corporation. So in this regard, I would see that there there may be possible for these countries to discuss what we can do to limit the interference with another currency out of our region, which is definitely more fluctuated in this world. And I I think that is much more. Profitable for all the related stakeholders to decide what we can do to use、uh, the currency to reduce the risks. But I have to say that for you know the experiences,、uh, not from only from、uh, Europe but also from other kind of trials, when they are trying to develop a new currency, it's not just a simple thing. They have to. Not only consider about the currency values problems, and also about how can we deal with monetary policies among the related stakeholders, and what are the acceptance, I mean the attitudes from other trading partners. So it's a really a long-term goal for us to reach. But I, I think that is definitely our signal we can send to the world that、uh, these countries have some common interests, and we are. Not only trying to enter the pressure of another country who are not trying to be good to us, so it's a really a good trial. Although it's unclear when the BRICS currency will be released, it seems obvious that in recent years, the calls to reduce reliance on the dollar have been growing increasingly louder. For example, Brazilian President Lula da Silva called for the abandonment of the dollar in international trade in April. Other examples include Iran and Indonesia, who have announced that they will trade in their own currencies in July. So, Diego, why do we see more and more countries trying to reduce their reliance on the dollar? What do you make of the trend of de-dollarization?、Uh, I believe that this trend is all about the current situation, the, the current political situation in America. Uh, some some people would say that we are living in a period that the American predominance in the world is is, de- is decreasing, that the power of the American empire is decreasing, that the political power of the American government is decreasing. The world is true that they are not as reliable or trustful as before. We in the in the third world or in the second world. We realize that the United States is not really reliable country, reliable partner, and、uh, I believe that most of the countries,、uh, especially the countries that still couldn't develop enough to provide to their to their people, I mean, I include in BRICS, especially、uh, Brazil, South Africa,、uh, and India, we can see that we cannot rely 
only in the U.S. or or in the Americanized financial system, uh, system, and, and this includes IMF, uh, the World Bank, and all the Bretton Woods uh, apparatus. I believe that it is, is very important for the countries that that are trying to develop their economy to be able to have a different source of investment, different source of of political power as well. When we live in a in a world that we have more diversified source of investment, I believe that your leverage is going to increase. You, your country can negotiate with different partners. I believe that in the end of the day, the most important thing that we are seeing nowadays is that U.S. is is also entering a different phase of its existence as a as a empire. The end of the day. Speaking of establishing a multipolar financial system. The new development bank plays an important role in this. So, Diego, how can the new development bank enhance an inclusive, multipolar financial system? How is it different from the current existing international financial institutions? I believe that when you talk about development bank or bank that can provide source of investment or financial aid for countries, we. The Latin America countries, we always think about just one bank, the IMF, and how IMF was present in the life of the people, especially the poor people, during maybe the 20 years ago. And why I'm talking about that? Because every time a Latin America country had a problem, a financial problem, they would ask support from the from the IMF. IMF, after studying their situation. They would approve or not financial aid to the countries, but every single time that this kind of aid was approved, they would also attach some kind of requirements for the country. For example, they would cut some kind of social benefits for the people. They would they would sell uh, state companies. Uh, Latin American countries they, they 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 have a very bad experience with this kind of aid, with this kind of investment. In the end of the day, when we heard about the new development bank, and we see that the process of getting a loan for the this new development bank, the process uh, to get investment from the, the, the from this bank is much more easier and very very less hurtful. In the end of the day, because we don't have this kind of requirement requirement that is in the end of the day is going to mingle is going to interfere in your internal politics. For IMF as a tool of the current international financial system, they would always interfere in the international politics of the countries. The most important thing the new development bank is providing to the world is this new possibility. I think this can create a more stable world, a better environment for economic development, and probably can create even more peaceful world in the future. We have spoken with Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and Diego Martins, co-founder of International Institute for Geopolitics and Strategic Intelligence. That's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Xu Yawen in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.